This week on the Lords of Grantham podcast, we won't beat around the bush. Gilded Age is back. The Van Rhines are back. The Russells are back. Marion is back. Rakes might be back. Uh, Borden is back. The whole gang is back. Julian is back. And the Lords of Grantham are here. Let's do it. I'm back. Feels like it's been forever, but we're back to the Gilded Age. Oh, yeah. What's going on, Corey? I mean, there's a lot going on, Dave, but all my mind has been thinking about is the Gilded, Gilded Age. <laughs> I'm so That's true. glad it's back. Uh, it's, it's back. And I would typically say, you know, around this time of year, we'd say, something spooky, happy Halloween. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. It's Gilded Age season, baby. This is, our, this is our spooky season. It's Russell season here. Yeah. We're, we're busy <laughs> talking this show. Uh, and for listeners who have not listened to us before, if this is your first time jumping in, so we've been doing this for a few years. We keep it real casual, our talk, but we do go in and really try to dissect the episodes as best as we can. And, uh, you know, we run down what happens in the episode, give our hot takes. We end the episodes giving some uh, power rankings of where characters are moving up in the week or moving down. It may not even be a person. could be an entity, depending on the week-to-week of what we're talking about with the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much the gist of what we do here on this podcast. Yeah, this is your first time on aboard the train. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, hope you stick around. Listen to our, our backlog from last season if you like. Downton Abbey or other period shows, do uh, check out our coverage of that as well. Mm-hmm. And to those that have been listening, that might be just as fired up as we are and in the weeds with us. Well, you know, thanks for sticking around. Yeah. And we, we usually start the podcast off with some some notes and, and news pieces about our shows, our characters. Uh-huh. And I feel like Gilded Age is the talk of the town. So is there anything specific we can talk about? I think the only thing we can bring up from the other shows that we watch is, you know, recently Hugh Bonneville, he uh, split with his wife of uh, 25 years. And uh, the Daily Mail was reporting the other day that <laughs> a newly single Hugh Bonneville's Girls Night Out. And there's an Instagram photo of Hugh with uh, three other women. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, they're, they're known actresses. I think some of them married. Uh, Tamsin Althwaite, uh, Julie Graham, and Angela Griffin. And uh, as the Daily Mail says, he appears to be letting his hair down as he messed around posing in snaps. And of course, the always reliable Daily Mail is, you know, <laughs> the most credible, credible source for this kind of information. It really just looks like he was having a good night out with some friends. I don't think he was, uh, I don't know, maybe he was looking to shack up with some people, but it doesn't, I, I think he was out just to have fun. Well, whatever Hugh wanted to do, whatever Robert Crawley, Lord Grantham, Mm-hmm. For those that don't know him on a, on a uh, you know real life name basis like we do, yep. Let him enjoy his life. At the same time, the Daily Mail also reports that his now separated wife Lulu reportedly broke down in tears at a pub as she told friends that the Downton Abbey star had sat her down and abruptly ended their twenty five year marriage. So you know, it's two sides of every story, Dave. Sure, sure. <laughs> but there's two big sides in New York City. In the Gilded Age. Should we jump into it? Or yeah, are we let's go back to else? 1882. Let's throw it back. Okay. Uh, where do we want to start this week? We, it's Easter morning. Yeah. Well, for listeners, too, just turning in, we did cover the season finale of season one 
uh, last week. So if you even need a refresher, there's there out there to pick up the things of where we left off. But as you're saying, Dave, well, this episode, it's called You Don't Even Like Opera. Yeah. Do we want to start with all the opera fuss? Or that takes up a lot of the bulk of the episode. That's And that's the big... And the payoff at the ending is that, too. So I think we should start with the other stuff. Okay. Um, well, why don't we... We do, but let's just talk about the beginning. We're back. We're, we're back in the fellows of it all. Oh, my Lord. The number of hats on display in this opening oh, sequence. Yeah. They were for sale, these hats. Well, Dave, did you have any f- favorite hat? Can you rank them? Oh, I should have ranked them. That would have been great. Oh, I think it's very um, clear. Obvi- <laughs> obviously, it's Oscar's hat is number one, that top hat. It's very the, standard, reliable. The most top hat. Aster's hat is great. Yep. Bertha's hat is great. Bertha's um, Bertha's is probably the best. That'd be my number one rank. I, I'd put. I liked. Uh, I liked Ada's the way the green matched up. I'd put that number two. I like Gladys's uh-huh. the way the white matches the white on her dress, and then goes into the rest of the dress. So that's how I would be. Gladys number three, Ada number two for me. Uh, kind of flip flop with Agnes, but mostly Ada. But then number one, Bertha was like, man, that's a hat. That's money. That's money right there. I guess I'd just I don't know, like a top hat boy. Julian loves a top hat. <laughs> I, I wish he did a thing where like the hats just got comically taller as they put them on. Just just keep growing and growing. And yeah, the, the, the cat in the hat has a cameo in this episode. <laughs> yeah, why not? Or the, the guy with caps for sale. But Dave, why are they putting in hats? Because Easter. That's the Easter vigil, mm-hmm. you know? And, and this, this translates to all walks of life because we see... The rich people in their part of church. We see the help in the back of the church. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Philadelphia. Yeah. To see what's going on with uh, Peggy and her mother. And her father. And her father. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was thinking so much. Like I, So going into this, not today, but this weekend, I listened to not only our original episode, season one, episode nine. Mm-hmm. But our original season one breakdown because I just wanted to be fully in, engulfed. Yeah, and we talked so much trash about Arthur Scott that oh yeah, you'll forgive me for leaving his name out of my mouth right in this first discussion. Well, well yes, he's there too. Why don't we start the the conversation about the Scots, huh? Sure, I feel like this is a fairly straightforward tale for them, a sad one, but well, it's kind of surprising. So. To pick up where we left off with the Scots last year, Peggy found out that uh, the son that she had thought was long dead was actually alive. Uh, and Arthur Scott had put, placed him with a family in Philadelphia, and he had just not told anyone about it because he just thought it would mm-hmm. be better for her life to just not have a child in it and weigh her down and hold her back. Uh, so they left off with her searching for her, her child. And lo and behold, She's already located her child. And, you know, whereas we thought her child was dead and it wasn't dead, scratch that. It actually is dead. <laughs> and one of the most baffling yeah. choices, sorry, sorry to be critical off the, the top here, but why was the cliffhanger last year that I got to find my alive child flip to, you know what? Leave it dead. <laughs> Run that back. We, we, we don't need this child alive in her life. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. I feel like this, does Julian just not like writing independent women as mothers like does he not know how to write a good mother that's also a career woman i think it's more he just doesn't know how to write children maybe <laughs> oh i mean definitely doesn't know how to write children name that's, a memorable child a from a julian fellows production 
Uh, but that's a good one. Uh, I have. I'll, let me think on that. But yeah, so the Springs, who were the family that had taken in uh, Peggy's child, they asked them to join them there in their grief uh, for Easter. Which when they said like in their grief, I was like, wait, what? What are we talking about here? <laughs> this is the family that had the child. Like they really don't spell it out for you if you haven't been keeping up with the show in the past year and a half. There's a brief recap at the top, but they really don't put it all out there. You have to kind of figure it out yourself. Um, well, yeah, they, they kind of, he kind of gives you breadcrumbs. He's not Julian doesn't just open the episode with like the baby's dead. Right. He he kind of sca- they're wearing black on Easter mass, so you know mm-hmm. immediately the red flags go up. Like, how come everybody, all the white people in New York, are all happy and chipper, and then we see the the black people in Philadelphia mm-hmm. wearing mourning colors and talking about being joined in their grief by the Scott and, and something about having two mothers, you know, the yeah. share in the grief. And, and that's, you know, you don't need to be, uh, it's not subtle, but it's also not a, directly overt. Like you need, you can't be scrolling Instagram hoping to catch all that. No. And honestly, to, to be honest up front, uh, Watching this episode took me about a good an hour and a half of pausing, copying mm-hmm. down notes, pressing play, rewind, back and forth. Uh, did not want to miss a thing. But they go to the the Springs uh, household, and it's just the man there. And we learn that Scarlet Fever has been going around, and that's what the yeah. child had caught. And that's, I guess, what his uh, no, not I guess it is what his wife had caught. So they both come to it. Um. And he, well, I believe that what what uh, what he says is it's, uh, Spring says is his son caught it, mm-hmm. and then his wife was his caretaker. Yeah, and she basically got it alongside him and passed as well. Yeah, and so they're showing uh, Peggy around the house. Uh, you know, he's a loved and loving little boy, and you know, there's toys that she can take with her, uh, including a, a teddy bear. Uh, there's even a picture. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, there was a whole th- uh, moment there where, like, he the the father says, you know, if you had just taken that child uh, earlier, you may not have died. <laughs> yeah. And, it seems to be a big hanging specter on this episode is the guilt over. I, I do like Arthur's reaction, though. It's like, you can't blame me for scarlet fever. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, look, I was trying my best here. <laughs> Like, I couldn't have predicted that there would just be this fever sweeping the nation, killing people off. So, hold on that for Julian a second. loves a plague as well. He's a big plague oh, guy. Oh, yeah, he loves He's that. He's a big season two plague guy. As well, a, that's season three in Downton, but... You know what's funny, too, is last week we were predicting, like, there was going to be stuff this season. It was like, there's going to be a death. And then little do we know it would be the child that we were told was alive and ready to meet. Um. Anyways, though. Uh, so, yeah, Peggy's very weak right now. Uh, and really, you know, she gets a photo of the child to take with her, and you know, the mom, the mom, um, what's Miss Scott's name? Uh, Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah, she's immediately taken. Like, oh man, she looks just like you, Peggy. Uh, and we actually get some depth uh, to the parents here, and it kind of reminded me of what uh, Julian would do in some of his past shows, where he has so many characters. There's too many characters on, mm-hmm. on his programs, but 
I feel like he sifts through them, sees where there's opportunities to flesh them out and do more with them. And, you know, we got flashes of that from the Scott parents last year, but we definitely get more of that this episode to start off. Um, yeah, there seems to be the same amount of sort of stress and grief and and tension between them, but it does seem to be managed a little bit. Yeah, it's much more foregrounded. Because... Uh, uh-huh. We see how Dorothy's struggling with it. She's talking to Peggy, like, you know, do you know how I met your father? He, you know, I was running away from some people. He saved me. Uh, like, he, he's not that bad of a guy. <laughs> so she always felt safe with Arthur, but not right now. It, it ain't going that way. Uh-huh. And that struggle really bubbles up before dinner there, where she really is blaming him, you know, that they should have kept the boy. You know, and this grandson's dead because of you. She's laying at the feet of Arthur. And Peggy overhears this. And, you know, she's, of course, still distraught about it. <laughs> There's nothing really that can do. Really, really, it just looks like Arthur's put out, you know, to pasture to say, we don't want to deal with you right now, brother. Mm-hmm. Even though that's where we left the end of last season with Arthur. But kind of just resetting, like, you know, we're, you're still in the doghouse, Arthur. Yeah, and we do get the scene where... Uh, Peggy's mom, mm-hmm. Dorothy, tells Peggy the the how she met her father. Right. Which is a nice moment. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's where she was running from some people, ran into his arms. And she oh, yeah, sorry. So, I thought you were talking. I was talk, talk thinking about the baby. Uh, no, the baby was not running from anyone safely in anyone's arms, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but well, yeah. I do, again, Arthur's <laughs> pleading. is like, you're supposed to hate me the rest of your life? I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> it really is getting a raw deal, but he did make a poor choice. Let's let's be fair. Um, and yeah, where Peggy stands is let's just all just we need a break from each other. I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna leave what this. Is the, what is the phrase she uses? Like the we need tr- a rest triad of we're trapped in a trio of regret for too long. The trio of regret. Yeah, yeah. That's a great. Uh, I thought I wrote that down. I should have wrote that down. I, thought, I guess I thought it would be memorable enough that I wouldn't need to mm-hmm. to ask about it. But yes. Yeah. Uh, so she decides to go to her pal. She has lunch with Marion. Yep. And she goes, I got to get out of here. They allude to a secret about Marion that we don't know what it is that they're talking about yet. Because uh, that was yeah. not revealed at the end of oh, the last yeah. season. It's just a new thing. Uh, but never mind that. We'll talk about that later. She asks Marion, can I get a job back at the old house? I, I could really you know, get the work, use the work. <laughs> and she says, "Who's? Uh, what was the... One of the staff members, I forget exactly, is it ba- uh, I, Bannister? I, I don't want to even... No, one of the female, the female staff member that sort of outs her as being a, a you know, a, a secret mother. Mm-hmm. The one that basically got her dismissed last season. Uh, Bridget? Or Miss Bauer, Miss Bauer. Yeah, okay, I was right. Um, there's the... She's like, I don't know if I can do it, but I, I gotta be out of this, this trio of, of remorse and regret. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, Marion's like, heck yeah, sign me up. I want my friend back. I want to be able to eat with you in a restaurant where there's other white people. Yeah, let's go back. Um, and so, yeah, we'll follow up on that next week with Peggy coming back into the fold. But again, really strange resetting of the board for Peggy where you thought there was going to be some progress here, but all it really did serve, to serve was just reminding us Arthur is... 
so it really seemed like last year Dorothy and Arthur were still in alignment in terms of you know wanting the best for Peggy but not knowing how to express that love for her but now it seems like everyone is at odds with Arthur just as we left him at the end of last season but just as a reminder they're very much at odds because that child is dead and so and Peggy's just back to work so everything's back to, to normal yeah yeah uh, but I am yeah it seems like an unnecessary reset but also I do think Julian doesn't have the easiest of times writing for for mothers and children I, th- I, I mean I feel a little bit in general with this where a lot of these plot lines feel a little straightforward and again we sound critical we're enjoying the show but it definitely seems like there's a bit of a disconnect that Julian is grappling with where he understood some of like British culture and the subtleties there of how people interact with each other here. I think he's his drama is a little, I don't know, sanitized because he doesn't know how to color it in with like the various, you know, difficulties of the time. (laughs) Uh So here's a, here's the, here's the question. Mm -hmm. Uh, are we shipping her, Peggy, yeah. and the father, adopted father of her son? Yeah, there definitely seems to be Spring giving some eyes to her, towards her. Uh, yeah, give it a go. No, yeah. I, I apologize for not knowing Spring's first, you know, Spring's name, because mm-hmm. on the IMDb, there's just a hole where his it's Jordan Mahome uh-huh. and then no name. So spring, it's Mr. Spring. Yeah, and it's uh, the time of spring on the show. Yes, uh, uh, I know. Obviously, from the teaser, it seems as though our man T. Thomas Fortune is going to be a, a a factor into this. But mm-hmm. I do think it's an off. It, it's a it's a fellow's convenience for this man to be mourning a child that and a wife, yeah. where Peggy is the the mother of that child. And knowing Julian, even though Philadelphia isn't that close to, to New York in terms of travel back then, I'm sure she'll be seeing uh, Spring just as often as she sees the other guy from the newspaper <laughs> somehow. Well, it seems like they get to Newport in the blink of an eye. Yeah. So. Um, and also, you want to talk about Newport? Well, the last thing I'll say is just I'm excited to see more of Audrey McDonald and uh, John Douglas Thompson because they're two incredible actors. So I'm glad that Julian yeah, is finding ways I- to give them work. And I know that last season there was a little bit of worry because a lot of the supporting cast of this show is uh, Broadway performers, yeah, theater performers, and the 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 speculation was Julian got a hold of them because it was, you know, post vaccine, no theaters were open in COVID, yeah, and would these people be able to come back and shoot more when the theater world is open? And Julian and HBO got them, opened their checkbooks and said, "Come on over." Yep, they got them. But yeah, Newport, Dave. Let's get to it. Yeah, speaking of open checkbooks, let's go to Newport where we get... Uh, Larry Russell? A wonderful welcome for Larry Russell and Ward McAllister. Yeah. So as we left off last season with uh, Larry Russell, the son of George Russell and Bertha Russell, <laughs> uh, they were encouraging him to become uh, a designer, you know, building... Yeah, an architect. An architect. Uh you know, at first they're kind of against the idea because they don't want him to just be doing regular work. He should be kind of assuming his place in society, uh, especially considering all the money that they have and it helped to extend their reach. He's like, no, 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 I want to go to work. I really want to work. Okay. I need to work. <laughs> yeah. So we got this house in Newport that's ready to go. So in the off season, Larry just spent his time building it up. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So 
And, and another thing that, that we're, we're glossing over and, and jumping right to Larry instead of talking about Ward McAllister and Bertha. This is the, the Russell's house. Mm-hmm. Bertha's, she's, as Ward says, you've conquered New York, Newport's next. Yeah. And this seems like an awful lot. And But there, you know, if you've ever been to that part of Newport, you kind of walk the the mansions mm-hmm. and and guffaw at the the luxury of the Newport mansions. And yeah. Bertha's basically saying, "I want in. Yeah. I got my my you know my Gilded Age house, and I need to move, and I need to have my summer home." And Ward's like, "All right." <laughs> Ward is basically the biggest suck up in this whole show. Yeah. And then we see our good friend Drake Karn, Larry Russell, looking looking a little older this year. I think maybe he gained. He finally went through uh, puberty, gained an inch or two. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he does not look like a child quite as much. But maybe that's what comes with building a house, and it looks fantastic. The insides are oh yeah really well fleshed out. Obviously, they're using a real house that they rented uh, to go to. I think you've been there before, right? Some of the interiors, or you've seen it before. No, that wasn't for this sequence. This okay. was for the, um, the like union buster meeting. Yeah, which we'll get to when we get to. But more than anything, McAllister says you've done great. I know someone else that you can help out with their house. Uh, yes, it's a it's a widow in Newport. You know, looking for some household fixes, and she just decided to live there after uh, her husband's death. And they're like, oh. yeah, and she's. Seemed to be a bit of a gold digger. Yeah. Married someone way older and wound up getting stuck with him for a lot longer than she thought she would. hmm Now, this seems like breadcrumbs to set Larry up with somebody. Yeah. I feel it, like we're... And potentially an older woman. So maybe it helps that Larry how, looks older. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Who knows? Let's, get, let's have him get it on with yeah. an older lady. Julian's getting progressive here. I like it. <laughs> um... And so that's where we are with Larry this episode, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we keep t- t- uh, ticking the boxes of the, the small breadcrumbs? One I was particularly interested to follow up on uh, that we never got any resolution to last year was with Watson. The last week we were really hoping we didn't get resolution. With the bald guy? Yeah, we were saying, like, what if they just don't acknowledge that at all? Uh but it's as if Julian understood that that was a huge gaping hole, something that he did not give any answers to last year. So immediately we see this bald guy, Watson, the downstairs helper for the Russells, making eye contact with Miss McNeil as he was last Again. year. Yep. Sees her at church, sees her around, and really more or less it just comes to a head at a dinner later in the episode where she's yes. giving her two cents about the opera and looks up and sees him. And it's like, blah, <laughs> as I think anyone would be too if they saw that guy just staring at them, bald head gleaming and everything. I have that same effect on mm-hmm. people too when I when I appear with my bald head. So I'm, I'm bald people. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> we learn when she tells her husband in this room that's surrounded with people too, more or less, <laughs> that, hey, that's my father. Yeah. Weird, weird. Weird for many reasons, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is something that could have been explained in a hot second like they do here last year. Do you think Julian was hemming and hawing trying to figure out what should Watson be to her? 
I would hope so. Because Watson Watson and McNeil do not seem like a generation apart. Yeah. Right. I mean, what if you told me Watson was her uncle mm-hmm. or her cousin or her you know, stepbrother, I would say, okay, but father? Right. I mean, there's a whole moment from last season where he's pleading with her, like, don't you remember me for a second? And it's like, okay, so he must have left really young, uh, you know. Uh, but at the same time, could she even just re- recognize, like, he, she has some of his features potentially or something in that moment? So... Yeah, so strange. And and so she tells her husband that like she had heard from her mother that her father had fallen on hard times, and then implies like, but who would have known how far he has fallen? Mm-hmm. To I just you know like Julian knows what he's doing. Yeah. He studies yeah. up on this stuff. But I think if we've learned anything from all of these shows and the ideas of reputation. What is her mother's story? I like, think she's dead. Who is her mother that she... Uh, is she? Pretty sure. And how did she have this life where she had a, a child and that child sort of managed to make it through with a single parent and no cloud of who's the father? I, I thought it was the case of the mom died and she wound up with a potentially rich family, but I may be mistaken on that, but they'll remind us. I'm sure. Yeah, may, maybe. Us. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I forgive me if we're missing some part of McNeil's mm-hmm. backstory. She's just a hovering character. Yeah. And clearly she married into money, but it just seems a little strange that right. the McNeil's would just be like, even, even this McNeil family that accepts, her in wouldn't be like well what's the story with your father what's your lineage we need to know mm-hmm. and they would be like well nothing for you to worry about yeah just seems too convenient yeah okay so now, that other low-hanging fruit we get a little discussion of uh our pal bought in <laughs> yeah the razzing him about the the french uh accent and words that he was using mm-hmm and one of the best early, you know, like, thank God they get this out of the way early because we would have been sitting at the edge of our seat waiting for Borden to show up. <laughs> I think they're wise in uh, limiting the amount of Borden uh, in this episode just because that character mm-hmm. is so broadly written based on the story that he was given, that he was a f- man pretending to be French but is actually from w- Wichita. Uh, or is it Wisconsin? It's Wichita. Uh, no, it was Wichita. Wichita. Kansas. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you know... He, the one thing I, I keyed in on is that people are making fun of him, but it seems like he's got some support from uh, one of the other staff members there saying, you know, hey, it's okay, or whatever. They're kind of like making eyes at each other, too, later in the episode. Is it Armstrong? There's too many downstairs staff that I don't, I'm not familiar with all their <laughs> names. Yeah. I think, yeah. But it's church... And it's it's Bruce, right? Yeah. Or Armstrong. I think it's Bruce is the one who works. No, it's not Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. But Bruce is a Mrs. allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, but it seems as though you know Bannister. Now is it? Sorry, did I I meant Church? You make boredom. Yeah, these people. There's too many of these (laughs) down. Downton Abbey. You have to deal with one downstairs staff. In this show, you need to deal with two. Yeah. So. 
it's uh, apologies if we confuse things. Uh, church mm-hmm. is like, in, in considering this is the Russell House, the more uh, whip snapping, you know, like do what we need to be number one in the in the town house. Yeah, I am shocked that they are so playful about the bought in of it all. But I do like Bertha's reference to like, oh, how about that French chef? And she's just like, uh, yeah, about that. <laughs> hmm. But it is, it's a nice little let's let's talk about it now before people ask us about it. And that's really all we get from uh, from Mr. Borden this yeah. week. Mr. Borden, Josh, Josh Borden. <laughs> uh, and then also just checking through the downstairs people, Jack Trotter, uh, the we pause, hit pause hit pause okay his name was not jack pa- trotter last year it was jack treacher it was jack treacher last year and we heard that right it is trotter this year right it is trotter i just i looked on um imdb and and for the show he is listed as jack treacher slash jack trotter <laughs> what <laughs> yeah, no, you're right because it is for this episode Jack Trotter, and then no, and, and he's like, my name's Jack Trotter. Uh, yeah, that's so. Do you, oh my man, do you think we've caught something here? I don't think we've caught something. I think Julian just changed the guy's name because it sounds too close to Jack Reacher, as we kept saying last year on the podcast. <laughs> Jack Treacher. Uh, but what a weird pit to make him like emphatically say like, I'm Jack Trotter. <laughs> At the top of the season, for people binging the show, they're probably just like, "Wait, what happened? <laughs> Did he hit yeah, his head?" People that didn't live in the in the weeds with us last spring. Well, do you think he's introducing himself as Jack Trotter to uh, what's her name across the street? Oh, that new the new little curly haired Bridget. Uh, oh, no, no, not Bridget. Bridget's his coworker. Uh, yeah, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. Yes. Do you think I know. I think IMDb is calling him Jack Trotter. I think this is a Julian misdirect where he's just like, I don't want him to call him Jack, Tr- Jack Reacher anymore. Okay. But yeah, he sees her at the the service, uh, the Sunday morning service. And he's like, hey, I noticed you from across the room. I liked your style. You want to go out sometime, Adelaide? Which, by the way, let me spell out Adelaide's name for all those who haven't seen it. A-D-E-L-H-E-I-D. Hey. That is not. I didn't expect to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's charmed by him. She's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we can go out sometime. We get some coffee, some tea." Yeah, she goes, "I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving town. I am leaving town." And though. he's like, well, "When he when he come back, why don't you check on Jack Trotter across the street?" <laughs> and she does. So she, this is a this is officially our uh, I, Ivy Daisy mm-hmm. and. Uh, What's the other guy in Down Abbey? Uh, Richard, or uh, yeah, wasn't it Richard and uh, Daisy and that other redhead at the time? No, or, I don't think it's, it's not Richard. It's it's, uh, it's Ivy, Ivy, Daisy, and and whatever Lunky. It was uh, O'Brien's cousin, right? And oh, his name's not Richard. That's, that's right. yeah. That's uh, that's pretty much what you he's know. Doing Julian, li- yeah, Julian likes a, a a similar plot. He's comfort yeah. food, easy, and this is very much like. Now Bridget is like, oh, why does he have the hots for Adelaide? We look the I same. Give... Uh-huh. <laughs> you look at Bridget and Adelaide, they look identical. Like, what, what's, what are you missing? Sort of like Ivy and Daisy. Ivy was like a taller Daisy. Yeah. I, I wish Jack Trotter uh, would just come out and say, I don't want to 
hook up with anyone in the workplace <laughs> or something like that. You know, like it's just a bad idea. Give us a reason. Yep. Well, he also does the he, – he repeats his same sentiment that we got last week, which is, oh, I don't want to be a footman forever. Yeah. It's like, shut up, Trotter. <laughs> is that I mean, want you to have the same name forever is what I want, Jack. It's like a Hollywood actor who changes his name to move up the, the ranks. And I mean, considering we have we went from Baudin to Borden and we went from Treacher to Trotter. They all got to change their names maybe, at some point. <laughs> maybe the Van Rhines will change their name to like the Van Smiths or something. There, there was even a point, too, at the end of this episode when Jack is smoking a stove, looking at, across the street at that the ball that's going on. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Bridget has a chance. Bridget? To, yeah, she has a chance to say like what she, how she feels about him. Punts on it. And it's like, oh, man, we are actually going to go through the storyline. We're not going to get any surprises or anything. It's just like, ugh. Nope. Seen it before. Let's see if it's different this time around. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Is there anything else going on downstairs? Who else? Um, not that I can think of. We see the churches. We see the banisters. Mm-hmm. Nothing too too much else going on down there. Yeah. So Peggy's technically going to be downstairs. Yep. Well, why don't we work our way up the chain to? Oh, um, we. Uh, I guess we. Our our boy who. Uh, what's his name? That uh, Watson. He did get to be the under butler and serve the wine, that's which is a bit of a promotion for him. He's moving on up. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I know we already talked about his more important plot, but the fact that he got a little bit of a responsibility bump is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nice. yes, like, let's. Let's go upstairs. And do we want to talk about Marion? Yeah, we can talk about Marion. All right. Well, we see, you know, she's still living her life. Mm-hmm. And we meet the new the new pastor. Yeah. The new priest. Our our boy. For any 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 fans of House, <laughs> Dr. Wilson from House. Is now in the fellows verse is the Reverend Matthew Forte. Yeah, Matthew Forte. I have never watched House. Dave, do you have any background on this guy? I watched like the first two seasons of House, and I, you know, I think it was that was a very of the moment show, mm-hmm. and it did take me a, a few minutes of staring at Robert Sean Leonard to be like, "You're the dude from House. <laughs> what are you doing here?" And so he's a new Reverend in town. Uh, and he's just telling him, yeah, I came from Boston. I don't have a Boston accent, but I came from Boston. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't miss the food, except I do miss the clam chowder. And it definitely looks like... Yeah, you want some New England clam, you want some chowder. Yeah, good luck with that, brother. Uh, Ada's making eyes at him for a hot second. They don't really lean into it, but you can tell she's a little charmed by this new reverend in town. Yeah, and I, I do like the one thing that Jul- Julian Pepper's in these little like slice of life things in his characters where he had... Um, What's the other Van Ryan? Agnes mm-hmm. is talking about how the sermon was a little shorter. And like for anybody that's that's been to church, when there's a new priest, you're like, well, how's the sermon relative? Like, am I sitting longer? Am I standing? Like, no economy or economic status will change a boring long sermon. So it's good yeah. to see that Reverend Matthew is, it's done is shorter there. But we do see that he. He tells the Van Rhines and Marion that he's acclimating himself very well to New York. And believe it or not, he's got his first wedding coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's 
none other than Tom Rakes. Yeah. Slytherin Snake, Tom Rakes. Getting married to the... With the woman he was canoodling with in the booth. None other. And so, yeah. They, they are together now. Uh, and and th- that... That chuffs everyone there <laughs> for a hot second where he's telling this to the, the Van Ryans and Brooks and they're just like, oh. And, and he's like, oh, what about him? And they say, oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. He don't mean diddly squad to us. Yeah. Uh, Ada is a source of uh, advice to Mary in this episode. Like, don't stress it. It'll be okay. You'll get through this. Just keep moving forward. Agnes makes a comment over dinner where she's like, well, thank God. Mm-hmm. Said, for once, people should have listened to me and said that I was right. Yeah. Because I said from day one that this Rake's character was a total piece of trash. Right. And... We hear that a cousin is coming to town. He's a yep, a widower. Uh, he's the brother. Dashiell. Yeah, he's the nephew of Agnes's uh, ex-husband. Uh, Dead husband, not ex-husband. Deceased husband. And he, so this guy's a widower too, Dashiell Montgomery. And so yeah, he's coming through, and everyone's making a big hut to do about it. Yeah, they make sure that uh, Marion says, "Not my cousin." Yeah. No, there's a- Julian knows. Julian doesn't want every plot to be something he's done in Down Abbey. It's only by marriage. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. So this guy is coming, but also in the in the erstwhile. Uh, do we get any any anything else with Marion aside from talking about sort of the 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 rakes of it all and how she's getting over him and or rather she's is over him. Talks to Marion a little bit. Uh, not Marion. Talks to. Uh, Peggy a little bit about you know her secret, but otherwise she's helping Peggy. Um, her either her hair is dyed poorly or it looks like a wig. If you look on photos of uh, Louisa Jacobson, Jacobson who plays Marion Brooke, her Instagram from filming, it looks like she had dark hair while filming. All I know is this mm-hmm. blonde hair looks fake <laughs> in this episode. Not that I'm one to talk, I'm bald, okay. but like I was like, there's something off with this hair. Uh, anyways, though, Dasha Montgomery comes to town. And he's got company with him, though. Uh, Francis. The child. Yeah. And she immediately clocks uh, Marion when she comes in the room. Which... Yeah, at this party, which is for another cause, but it's it's for Dashiell. If Dashiell's out of town, how come uh, his daughter is so familiar with Marion? Like, I guess she just goes to school there and he just doesn't come around town? Well, when, when, when this episode begins, we see that, like, oh, Dashiell just got here last week. Oh, okay. We're going to have to have him over. So he's been around for a couple of days. Yeah. And, yes, little Francis is like, oh, hey, Marion, I know you. And Aunt Agnes is like, where do it, where, from where? What's going on? Well, it turns out Marion's been teaching watercoloring at a school on Thursdays. Yep, because we all know from her painting that she gave to uh, that woman last season, Miss Chamberlain, that she is an excellent watercolor painter. Dave, do you think Marion is actually a teacher of that class or she's actually taking the class with the other students? <laughs> she's like Kramer in the karate class in Seinfeld. She's just there. Her artwork I, I mean, is so poor. <laughs> I mean, I think if you've ever been to a uh, paint and sip class or mm-hmm. any of those sort of 
family date night events, the people that are painting are not going to, you know, move mountains with their abilities. They're just sort of good enough to show people how to do the basics. And I feel like that's what we get out of Marion today mm-hmm. or in, in her career. Yeah. But that sends uh, Agnes through a, you know, she, she, she comes fuming when they get home. Understandably. Cause again, they're people of society. Why are they doing work? <laughs> uh, and she goes off on Marion saying like, Oh no, you're a disappointment. <laughs> like this is not okay at all. And, Marin doesn't back down though. She has a little backbone this time where she's like, Hey, let me just have a life for once, woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ada, always in the middle of the two, is just saying, like, hey, hey, come on now. Rain it in. Do we need to do this? Yeah. And Marion's like, I'm going back to work. Yeah. I'm going what to go back dumb, to work. I mean, this is I think I think Julian doesn't understand the bomb he dropped on us with the the dead child earlier in this episode. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> drama doesn't measure up here at all. <laughs> Where he comes in at the end, middle of the episode, you know, second second act of the episode, where it's like, oh yeah, she's a teacher. She teaches children once a week. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Peggy lost her son. Marion's teaching once a week. And so she gets invited though to the party that's occurring across the street with Bertha, just because you know everyone likes her in mm-hmm. town. And well, no, actually, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. There was the Dashiell Montgomery party. That where they're all welcoming there, and well, and th- yeah, that's where we she gets exposed. But there is some brief exchanges with Dashiell Montgomery, and then I think Dashiell's at the party later, or no, is he not? Yeah, yeah, because they da- need a spare man to da- show up. Dash shows up later. Yeah, and there it seems like Dash is giving her an eye, which I don't know. He seems awfully old for, her. Uh, and especially for her, awfully like, old. Do you think he's that that? The beard, the grays, and the mean, beard not... are a bit much. Okay. Also. Come on, Marion's a young girl. Why she don't have to be with a divorcee already? Larry Russell's right there. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, I know we've got to put obstacles in front of them. Who, Obviously, if Larry gets to be with this, you know, Newport widower who needs work done on her house, mm-hmm. we can we can set Marion up for for a little fun with cousin Dashiell. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. What's so that's uh, Marion Brooke. Let's talk about Oscar Van Ryan. Yep, he has a Tom Barrow plot with a little different of an ending. Yeah. So, in this episode, we see that he's still, you know, set on Gladys, although he's his hopes are diminished because she's not really acknowledging him. She's not answering his letters. She doesn't look in his direction. And when he's in the park after church, he says, I'm just going to go for a long walk. He notices his own old boy, John Adams, hanging out with another man in the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he can't. He, he it kind of drive drives him to sadness. Drives him to drinking. He goes to the bar. He's all so, suited up. So he he goes to the bar on Easter. Mm-hmm. Smokes a cigarette. <laughs> so give me another round. And there's a guy at the other side of the bar, and he starts chit chit chatting with the guy. And next thing we know, then, we see him, he was assaulted. Yeah. He shows back up in the house, beaten up. Yeah. And look, I, obviously, Agnes does not know what's going on. Yeah. He, Oscar's not really forthcoming. Mm-hmm. They just say, why'd you go out drinking? Should have come home. Yeah. And he's like, yep. And all he needs is a little sleep, a little 
cream and bandage, mm-hmm. as they say when they go to get the first aid kit. You just got to put the ointment on there. He'll be fine. And the thing is, like, I get that it's historically accurate that it happened. We even see it in other shows with Julian and other time where, you know, closeted gay men would be at a bar and then they'd think like, oh, this guy's like me. And then, no, that guy's just looking to assault you. And it's like, I get that it happened, but man, it's kind of tired, a tired trope to try out all the time, especially when I don't think it really serves much purpose here other than to reunite him with John Adams. There's so many other ways of having him reconnect with John Adams briefly than this route. Uh, and he's recovered by the end well, of the episode. I think this is, a, this is a, bit, it's a big come to Jesus moment for him because okay. he's always kind of doing his own thing where he's he's had John Adams, but clearly in this moment of weakness, which there was never any split outright from John Adams, if I recall correctly. It was just sort of like... Take a break. Yeah, it was more of a, our lifestyle is very difficult to maintain. So I think he's kind of high on his own supply goes to this bar and he's like well i'm mr cool i'm gonna hit on whoever i want to hit on yeah and then i you know i don't think it's totally historically inaccurate that you know there's a lot of famous serial killers <laughs> isn't this what uh what what's his name the Dahmer would do you know like you, you stalk these mm-hmm. gay people and then you assault them like yeah not saying that every guy at a bar would but i think it wouldn't be totally uncommon to be that kind of evil and he gets home and he says, like, I should have been with my family. Like, I need to to settle down and take care of myself. And I believe when John Adams comes to visit, he kind of is like, are you sure? That's yeah. something we can do? And so, uh, yeah. Oscar, though, makes this case again, like, you know, you don't have the pressure that I do. I'm the only guy here in this family. I got to be the one to, mm-hmm. you know, bring, yep. help, bring in the bacon. And he's complaining. So they have a momentary kiss where he kisses his hand and Bridget walks in and spots that. But, mm-hmm. and, but she backs up before she, you know, much happens. And Oscar even says, do you think she saw anything? Nah, not at all. She, she said, well, she he said there wasn't off. much to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but Oscar's complaining to, to Marion cause she's like, man, you're not yourself. And he's saying, I'm still hung up on Gladys, man. I really tried, but nothing's coming to coming together. So she says, you know, just keep going for it. Figure it out. Yeah. Why don't you go talk to Aurora Fane about this? Something Cousin that, Fane. Something that would not play today, though. Like, if a girl turns you down, just keep trying, Oscar. <laughs> just go for it. Well, they're saying make one big, big grand gesture to figure this all out. Yeah. Well, in this day and age, you would have just DM'd her and her mom would have known about it. Right. But so they go to Aurora Fane and she goes, look, we need to have a party for Dashiell. I'll invite Gladys and I'll come up with a way that will make it so Bertha can't come. Mm-hmm. Now, we know we're going to talk more about it. Bertha's having a meeting about the opera or dinner party about the opera. Yeah. She won't have the time to go to this party, but Gladys will. Mm-hmm. So Gladys comes to this party. And we see that Oscar sort of wrangles her away for a minute. And, and, and we find out that she is indeed not receiving any of these letters. Bertha's strictly controlling what's going in and out of Gladys's orbit. Yep. And 
Yeah, she's not that opposed to him coming for her. You know, just got to meet with her daddy. Uh, maybe write a letter and hey, man, let's let's keep this moving. <laughs> yeah. And so Oscar's clicking his heels, but we do see later this episode, Gladys is talking to one of her friends, and she's like, "He proposed to me." And the girl's asking her, "Do you do you even like him?" I don't care. I want to get away from my mom. I'm sick of living with her. Now this is a it is a Carrie Astor who who's talking to her. Oh, that's right. That's her one friend. Yeah, the return of Carrie Astor. Mm-hmm. A real historical figure. Yeah. So we'll see what's going on there. It seems like. Uh, Gladys is is doing her thing, but you know I I think this is bound to fail. This is gonna crash and burn. Yeah. So that's where they are. Does that does that leave the big old main event? The big old main event. Well, I guess we they do kind of tie together, but George is dealing with some union issues. Yeah. In Pittsburgh. And nothing's really coming of it yet, but this older dude that he's talking to, this other rich robber baron, basically says to him, the only thing worse than a union man is a clever union man. Mm-hmm. And they have a meeting of ways to sort of stop this, the laborers from taking more control. And this was actually shot in the Sands Point Preserve on Long Island where we went. 12 years ago? Like a couple weeks ago. I saw it on my Facebook memories. Yeah. So, pretty and, cool little piece of trivia there. But um, Oh, man. That scene, though, where they have all the, the big wigs, you know, say, talking about unions and the, the Knights of Labor, and they're saying, like, maybe we could set pay half of them to kill the other half. And they're all just chuckling about it while smoking stoves. Like, uh, Julian really doesn't know how to write subtlety. <laughs> uh, or And I, I saw somebody on, I think it was Reddit or Facebook or something, post the, like, the hypothetical question of why is Julian making the robber barons the main protagonist in the show? Like, yeah, they're well, you know, I think history has shown us that these people are pretty terrible, right? You, and you do see George wince just slightly at this talk, so you know he's not going to be like in with the bad guys. Probably they got to make them, you know, people you can root for. And I'm certain it's yeah, gonna is, is he going to be like the woke robber baron yeah like let's give him holidays or they say something about the eight hour work day being unreasonable right and i'm certain uh, this is just me forecasting here the way peggy's going to come back in working for the newspaper certain there's going to be some colliding there in terms of labor stuff and then with uh mm-hmm. george i bet you well, that's for another time yeah but that's really all we get from george this week uh bertha so let's get to bertha yeah the we see she's Aster is acknowledging her. They are sort of friends, mm-hmm. as they said they were going to be last year. But Aster is still keeping Peggy, Peggy G, sorry, Bertha, at arm's length. She is only allowed so much social grace as far as what she's allowed to be invited to, uh, in with. And she really wants a seat at the opera. She wants a box. Yeah. But there's only a handful of boxes, and the waiting list is years long. And Aster seems to just say, like, well, that's just how it is. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get in. And then Bertha says, this new opera house is going to have 120 boxes. It's going to be able to appeal to everybody who wants to 
involve themselves in the world, you know, whether they be socialites or regular folk. And Aster's like, nah, I don't, you know, there seems, there's a lot of gatekeeping over who gets what. Right. And, and and so the funny thing is Bertha doesn't even like the opera, as we see in the title of this episode. As the name, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's all about the fact that she's not getting a box uh, at this, you know, historical opera house. And so, because yeah, as she says, as she says to Oscar, Oscar George, she's like, "Yeah, but the opera is where society goes to show out." Mm-hmm. So this is it is important, right? For, it, so it is very much the gatekeeping. As much as Aster is willing to acknowledge her, it's kind of like if you just keep her separate from the events that are important to me or that I'm going to, it's even better. Mm-hmm. And so this lights a fire into Bertha, as it always does, that she's going to try and help this. Uh, new Met uh, Metropolitan uh, Opera that's coming around and boost that and get a box there and make that more important than the other old opera house. Yeah, so this dinner that she's putting together, as she says to Aster, you know, this it's a, it's a meeting, a dinner for opera enthusiasts where they can talk about the future and the gatekeeping. And Aster's like, well, I need to approve the guest list completely. Mm-hmm. And then we get to this meeting, this dinner. And Aster's already floored if there's people there that she wasn't expecting. Yeah. And she's going to leave. <laughs> but Bertha mm-hmm. calls her bluff and, and says, if you leave, there's going to be people re- people reporting about this. So why don't we just, you know, stay stay put. She got her. She got have, her have, have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Relax. Talk about your favorite singers. Yeah. And we see that the McNeils are like, count us in. You know, there seems to be the big divide here is that do you go against the norm even if you're not in it? Like, yeah. do you buck the system because you know you'll get a box or do you just sit and wait your turn? And Bertha does not want to wait her turn and neither did the McNeils. But we see people, some of the people there do. Mm-hmm. Are more than willing to wait in line. And there's the guy at this dinner who is sort of the creative director. I forget exactly what his gimmick is. Mm-hmm. But he's the guy who is going to be overseeing this Met Opera. This Met Opera, as and if we don't know what the Met Opera is. <laughs> it's the Met, brother. It's on the mm-hmm. Upper West Side. Uh, and yeah. They're going to have a huge season to kick it off, though, with all the big names coming to town, really showing out. And they kind of blow Astor's mind where they say, yeah, we're going to operate at a loss the first year or two just to get people in the door. Well, why would you do that? Yeah. Well, because we're smarter than you and we're <laughs> and we're just going to, you know, we got a lot of new money. Yeah. If, if you want to disrupt society, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need to you need to actually do things that are disruptive and operating at a loss for two or three years in order to establish yourself is a OK. Yeah, it's worth it. And that's not the last surprise, even, though. Yeah, they even snipe the biggest performer. As Aster said, you can't get this this one singer. You can't get her. Is that Chris, Christina Nilsson? I forget Nilsen. exactly. There's so yeah, many. Christina Nilsson. You can't. You can't get her. She's. She's mine. You know, she's at the the operas. Yeah. And she's the, from or the, you know the the New York opera. You you can't take her. And it's like, well, we already did. She's and then right Bertha's here. like, come this way. Come this way. And like you said, we got a little stage set up. Everyone goes, oh my God, what happened? Yeah. Bertha has set her living room up into a little theater. And who's there? Nelson. 
literally, this is the show saying, give us uh, the Emmy for the production design already. <laughs> like, it, mm-hmm. it was so ornate to see all these uh, flowers, uh, you know, entangled with the, the banisters there in the house and stuff. It looks really, really pretty. Uh, and, yeah, Nielsen gives a performance, and everyone's kind of glancing at each other, like, oh, man, she really did set it off. And the funny thing is, you know, they are telling Bertha at the beginning of this episode, do you think Miss Astor really has something against you because you don't have a box in the thing? Maybe she just couldn't do anything about it, and Bertha won't hear anything of it. And obviously Miss Astor doesn't think the same of Bertha, but at the same time, Bertha is maybe a little bit overreacting <laughs> to, to, you know, getting shut out from this thing but i also understand well, do you do you case. think that birth uh, aster has a is blackballing her or do you think that it's just the the time i think aster's just not even trying because she's just like if i don't have to try why should i just <laughs> somewhere in the middle yeah exactly it's not as bad birth is taking it way too hard this slight i think uh but i understand where birth is coming from and that's most of the episode honestly right yeah i think that is that's how the, the episode ends with aster just basically getting dunked on yeah and the previews for the rest of the season seem to indicate, like, Bertha, are you sure about this? <laughs> you sure? Roll, yeah. roll it back. Rain it in. Yeah, anything- you already took over New York in one season or whatever. Yeah. Now you're going to try Newport and the opera world at the same time. Right. She's going to get got. She's flying too close to the sun. Anything else we haven't touched on in this episode? I don't think so. I did like the cross cutting between the, the two churches, the churches to show like the differences in them. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like I also noticed that I think Julian puts a lot of uh, emphasis on the fact that they don't drink tea, they drink coffee. Mm-hmm. It's like, join me for coffee. And they do a lot of, you know, ex- exaggerated shots of coffee being poured, which is very <laughs> much not what you see on Downton and Bulgravia and all of those yeah. British shows that we watched. And if we, I feel like the one thing we haven't mentioned mentioned much of is uh, Aurora Fane was in this episode a lot. She orchestrated the party for Dashiell Montgomery. She's showing up there at the end, you know, at the party. A lot of Aurora Fane, just keeping her in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, she's sort of the social bridge between the Van Rynes and the Russells. Yeah. All right. Well, Well, was this a good premiere? It was solid. As you would say. It was solid. I, I know it sounds like yeah. you were mostly critical of the episode, but there are the surface-level pleasures of this show. is amazing to look at. It's just beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I do feel like some of the actors struggle with Julian's quippy writing uh, while others get it. <laughs> um, yeah. There's something about them over-accentuating things, kind of like the very much the theater in them where they can't just let it roll off their tongue like Christine Bransky just nails. Yeah. She yeah she's she's like the perfect dowager countess adjacent yep here. But let's get to these power rankings, Dave. Sure. Who's going down? And number three going down, I got McNeil. McNeil. Oh, the the daughter. Okay. Yeah. Tell me why. Yeah, not not Watson. Uh, she she makes a scene at this dinner and then has to reveal to her husband that my dad is a deadbeat mm-hmm. servant. I mean, the thing is, I was when I was trying to do my rankings, I had a tough time because there's really only so many plots, and a lot of the plots kind of even themselves out. Sure, yeah. Like, it is it is kind of cool that Mary... I, I, I'm not spoiling anything. Marion, Marion doesn't do much, you know? <laughs> like, how am I going to put her on my rankings? Yeah. So, with that being said, you know, McNeil, you're, you you spit all over the, the table at the Russells and, and have to blame it on biting your tongue. 
And then you have to tell your husband about your daddy. Yeah. Well, at number three, I have Arthur Scott. This guy is in the doghouse still <laughs> trying to claw his <laughs> way out of it. It's not getting any better for him. He, it's like, come on, man. I didn't know the baby was going to die. <laughs> Too late. Mm-hmm. Not We need a break from you. Get out of here. So, Arthur Scott, you're still on the, the S list, bro. <laughs> okay. Well, number two going down, I got Oscar Van Ryan. Okay. He, you know, talk about Bertha flying too close to the sun. This guy thinks that he can just be himself whenever he wants to be. And it's the 1800s, bud. You're going to get beat up by some bigot. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And he's still on hard times with John Adams. But my big takeaway with Oscar's episode is like we said he looked old for like the young son. Not, not even young son, but like old and he, he's aging. He looks really old for his age this episode. I don't know if it's the mustache or what, but like, I'm sorry to apologize the actor, but man, Oscar Ryan Ryan is looking way too old for Gladys. I'm sorry. Well, I, I think isn't he's supposed to look old this week. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's clearly reflecting on his playboy lifestyle. It's fair. He sowed his wild oats. I guess so. And he never settled down. Well, Number two, you wouldn't put her on the down list. I, I'm not one to above that. Marion's going down at number two. She gets okay. shouted down by by Christine Baranski, by uh, Agnes. Uh, she really lets her know what time it is. Mm-hmm. And Marion is just like, I don't know what to do. And uh, and her job is watercoloring? Come on. <laughs> we got to find <laughs> something interesting for her to do. Who do you think you are? Yeah, and she can do better than Dashiell. Come on, let's not play the storyline. Ugh. She's she's still not interesting. That's the problem with her character. She's still not interesting. Yeah, and da- Dashiell is no cousin Matthew. Let's not beat around the bush Definitely here. Not. Well, worst week, it's Aster for me. Yeah, same, Again. same. She she really thought that she had it. She had it all. You know, even if she wasn't actively blackballing, she said, "I'm I'm the you know the custodian of society." And this was it's a- my job to make sure things are going smoothly. And then Bertha's just like, "No, no, no." Yeah. I will change the world. <laughs> and a lot of the first season was us just ping-ponging between Aster and Bertha at the top of the and the bottom because the two of them would just put each other down so hard. And yeah, that's... Well, Ber- Aster doesn't show up until the very end because she's just been ducking Bertha. She says, you're not worth my time. Well, she shows up. They have a, they have a, a meeting earlier in the episode, Miss Aster and, and Bertha. Well, I mean, in the first season, she's oh, only yeah. there at the very end. Yes, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. You're going so it down seems as though like you she's she accepted Bertha into society and Bertha's just like leapfrogging like no mm-hmm. no no I'm done with your rules I'm I'm rich too lady yep well going up I, number three I got Ada Brooke you know they start this episode with Agnes saying like or Ada saying Agnes we're getting old we should you know get a carriage we don't need to walk but hey, Ada you're gonna have to do a lot more walking if you like that Reverend around town I've seen the way you're looking at him. <laughs> And I, I, yeah, I, we've seen you. We've seen that house DVD on your shelf. Ada. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know she's making eyes, uh, or not making eyes. She's making eyes at him, but she's giving good advice too to uh, Marion to be like, "Hey, don't be so down on yourself." I think it's a really good moment where she says, "Like, get back out there. It ain't mm-hmm. worth it. Ain't worth wasting your time. Come on now." Yeah. Well, perhaps controversial, but I got a number three going up. I got Peggy because. Okay. She has closure with her child, you know? Mm-hmm. There's The mystery is over. It's it's sad, but she also has this the great moments with the Spring family. They give her the picture. They give her the teddy bear. 
Yeah. She has a, 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 a shipping moment with the father. And then she goes home and says, you know, like, this is tough for, I can't be around my family anymore. I'm going to take my life mm-hmm. back in control. I'm going to go back to work with Agnes and yeah. I'm going to write. So good for her. It's a right step in the right direction, considering she seems to like, like the momentum was both positive and negative leaving last season. Yeah. So it's good for her to sort of firmly step out. Right. Uh, now, what else is there? So yeah, number two, I got Gladys Russell. She uh, she's got okay. she got a proposal coming her way. Uh, she's the talk of the town because everyone knows she's a dancer now <laughs> that she she can have because mm-hmm. everyone wants her at her at their party, uh, and so yeah, she may be getting getting out of there. So good for her, good for Gladys. She's the toast of the town since we last saw her. Yeah, if, if I I had her written in and I crossed her out because like the the disinterest in in Oscar seems so teen. Like it's like. Her and Carrie sitting in that room, sort of like gossiping. Like it seems very petty. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm sure her ego is as big as it's been in this show, but I couldn't quite give her that power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my number two, you talked about how we can give this power ranking to different things. I got the the future Met pay- patrons here. The what? Oh, the future the, Met. The future. Patrons. Yeah. Like some meth. Uh, this I is like what. <laughs> Potentially, potentially. Okay. Uh, these people have been blackballed or waited in line for so long to have access to the opera mm-hmm. and have been, the gate has been kept shut in front of them. And it's a huge deal. It's yeah. a historic deal. <laughs> so Absolutely. That's why I got them. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Dave, we should go to the Met sometime. Do you like the opera? Absolutely not. I don't okay. think you could pay me to go to that. It's too long. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, number one going up, it's Bertha. It's Bertha, baby. She's still here. She really showed out. There was no like, uh, clues or anything that was shared with what she was going to be doing at the end of the episode. I was like, holy moly. She really went for it. So, kudos to her, man. Huge yeah. win. Yeah, great. great luck for her. Undeniable. And another just like total dunking on on Aster. Mm-hmm. Now Aster's got to retaliate. Like, I don't think Bertha's going to have as smooth a season as she did last season. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, well that's the that's the first episode. We're over an hour. We're an hour six into this. Yeah, it was a lot to cover. And at a certain point, a I feel like we, cover. we we may have fallen back on just describing the episode. So, listener, if you kept listening, thanks for for listening. We're really. We, we get better as the season goes along. We pick up this pace. We're trying to get our bearings this episode. <laughs> yeah, I like that, that you're you're uh, tentatively apologizing to people an hour and six minutes into the podcast. If you stuck with us this, uh, that long. <laughs> really yeah, you were thinking it. about turning it off right this second. Hold on. Yeah. So, Dave, have you been watching anything else in the Gilded Age? Uh, so we recorded last week's episode last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh... So the, an- the the answer is no, not okay. really. <laughs> what about you? Just some Halloween movies, uh, haunted stuff, Suspiria. It's a classic. Okay. Anything? Really good. Uh, is that a standout? Anything? Uh, anything to avoid? No, I, I I've actually kind of uh, 
watched good ones. I, I went to this screening of a 1920s uh, black and white film, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, at the local... Uh, there's this massive cathedral around here that plays them every year, and they have this procession of monsters afterwards. It's pretty awesome. I'm feeling haunted right now. Okay. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, Love is Blind Japan is still <laughs> on my okay. rotation. It is. I wish it didn't have subtitles. I think I did The Circle Brazil. They dub it. They dub those shows, man. Oh, there's dubs. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a game changer. I could watch that on the elliptical, no problem. It makes it so much easier, I promise you. And also, if you're watching it on your phone, right. Dave, you can watch it in two time speed. So. Okay. <laughs> Try it out. I, I mean, I, now knowing there's a dub, I'm, I'm, I guess I, I am like two thirds of the way through the current hetero season of the Ultimatum. Okay. When I finish that, All right. I will do Love Is Blind Japan. I can't wait to hear what you think of that season of the Ultimatum. I haven't watched it, but I need to know if it's good or not. I'll let you know when I get to the end. It's okay. it's the ultimate. It's definitely better than season one, but it's not as uh, fun trashy as the queer love one. Okay, good to know. Well, listeners, if you want to find more of our stuff, all of our episodes are on any podcast streaming services uh, that you use. Uh, you can find our whole catalog on our Podbean website. Uh, you can leave us a five-star rating and review if you so choose on any service that you listen to us on. And beyond that, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I should say X for Twitter. Uh, Lordsgrantham at gmail.com if you want to hit us up. Uh, we mm-hmm. have a Patreon with... Uh, where we have a Facebook lounge where we talk to Lords of Grantham lounge where we talk to our listeners. And, uh, we also have, uh, bonus episodes too, that we work on when we have the time. But aside from that, we, you'll find us here ne- next week talking Gilded Age season two, episode two. Yeah.